0: And uh, I, uh, I just have to say how much Karen and I have really enjoyed the fellowship here. We just really feel at home here. Um, you've made us feel very welcome, and thank you very much for that. We really appreciate the time with you folks. Um, I, we, we just really uh, messed up on, on Sunday night. My wife was sleeping on the job, and... Um, Normally, we, we set up a little table at the back of the, the chapel during a missionary report and with a few knickknacks on it and things from Botswana and South Africa. So um, in lieu of not doing it Sunday night, we 've done it tonight, and um, there's uh, uh, some little prayer cards, if you want to remember to pray for us. And also, occasionally I send out a it's supposed to be a quarterly newsletter, but it 's more like an annual thing. And uh, if you want to receive one, just put your email address or postal address on the, on the list there, and, and we'll get around to that. Now, this evening, uh, I was asked to handle a subject that, that uh, is dear to my own heart. It's something that has challenged me. It's, uh, it's something that's affected my family. And uh, as, uh, as the father of three young men that went through the university... Uh, um, uh, academia they were challenged with various things and I know that we've got a lot of young people here today and you have also been in that situation you've been to universities you've been to colleges maybe you're there even at this time and uh, you know that the Christian faith is, is not something that's really uh, welcome in many of these places and you um, you get these experts who who are presumed to have all the answers to life. And um, and they would just marginalize the Christian and, and make them realize or make them think that they don't really have the answers and that their their faith is really irrelevant in the, the modern world that we live in today, this, this so-called post-modern, post-Christian era that we live in. I... Uh, the reason why I'm saying this is a personal thing is is uh, some time ago, uh, it was just over three years ago. We were here on a furlough, and um, my middle son Jonathan, um, he uh, he professed to be saved as a young man um, in Botswana. He shared many times, uh, praying, preaching the gospel as well, and uh, we used to love. Just spending hours debating and exchanging ideas and different philosophies and and not that we would sort of uh, uh, disagree with each other, but we, we, we love to just engage each other 's thoughts he 's the real thinker he 's the student in our family, and um, after a couple of years, like we once they reached their high school finished their high school, we had to bring them back to North America for university and and uh, we did that with all three of the boys. We got them into university, and then we went back to Botswana to carry on in the work there. And the boys were, were pretty much left on their own. We, we tried to get them settled in an assembly and into university. And, uh, and Jonathan went on very well for a couple of years. And uh, we were very encouraged uh, uh, what he was, how he was getting on. And then there were some little indications along the road that he was having a struggle spiritually. And um, we, we didn't know what really what it is, what it was, but we had suspicions. And, uh, and uh, a couple of years ago, like I said, three or, three or four years ago, I was here on a furlough and, and he phoned me and he said, Dad, I've got a little work project I'm working on. And, and he wanted to make, he was living in a student house, uh, living on a, on a small budget, and he wanted to make himself a bed. So we went to the hardware store, we drew up some plans, and, and we made a wooden frame, uh, uh, a bed, and that was the project, and uh, as we started to put this all together in his, in his room, I was just sitting at his office desk there, and I looked over at his bookcase, and you know, I didn't see a Bible there anymore, and, uh, and what really struck me is, was what I did see was, was a book by Richard Dawkins called The God Delusion, and I think university students at times are targeted, if they're Christians, they are targeted by the professors to, to try and, and drive them from their faith. And maybe I'm speaking to some young person here today and that has been your experience. And, and you maybe even questioned your faith and questioned really the, the truths that you have always embraced And now you've been surrounded and overcome by these so-called experts... ...who seem to have all the answers. And they can perhaps um, outsmart you in many ways. And I'm not saying that that they're all wrong. Uh, Many of them are very, very uh, good and they're right. But I want to say this. That there are questions... That the evolutionary way of thinking does not answer. Serious questions. And I want to challenge you tonight. And I would like you to take these questions home yourself. And the next time you are challenged. Listen, you don't have to give the answers always. And these guys like to put you on the spot. And say, listen, what do you think? How do you answer this? Well, listen, throw it back to them. Let them come up with an answer. And I've got three questions that I found that, the, 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 that evolution cannot answer. And we're going to look at those, those questions tonight. And, and I just pray that the Lord will give us help just to look at these things and, and to learn something from it. Now, the, the first thing that we're going to do is we're going to look into our Bibles. And here's the verse. We're going to look at three different verses tonight. But this is the first one. And this is, this is really going to introduce my first point, And I would like to just read that to you right now. This is 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 19. And if you don't have your Bible with you, you can just read it from the screen at the top here. Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God. Now that's a very interesting phrase. Suffering according to the will of God. Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God, commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 19. Now, the very first question that I would like to present to you tonight is this question that has really stumbled those who have chosen to follow evolution. And that is... What is the purpose of life? What is the purpose of life? Now, that is a a tremendous question that needs to be answered. And, you know, when a person becomes a Christian, one of the greatest blessings that he enjoys as a believer is to come to the knowledge of this, that there is one seated in heaven that has absolutely all the details of my life under control. And that there are no accidents with God. He has a purpose for my life. Now that's a tremendous, tremendous thing for the child of God to hold on to. And it especially is tremendous when you go through difficulties in life. Now you see, when you are, when, when everything is going hunky-dory. And you have no problems. It, it really doesn't matter what you believe in one sense. Because it's not tested. But when you go through difficulties in life, when you encounter a serious illness, when you go through a financial crisis, when you lose a loved one, when these cataclysmic, life-altering events take place in your life, it throws you back on what you believe. It throws you back on something that you need to find hope in and find support and strength in. And... You know, it's, it's just a, a wonderful thing as a Christian to be able to know that whatever crosses my path, I know that there's a God in heaven who loves me, and he's kind, and he has control of these circumstances, and he'll not permit anything to cross my path that will not bring glory to him and blessing to my life. Now, that's a tremendous thing for a child of God to enjoy. Some of God's children have gone through some very, very difficult experiences in their life. And yet, in the midst of those experiences, they have been able to radiate the love of God. Because they have been able to show that, that God has a purpose for them, even in spite of the difficulties that have crossed their path. And so this evening, the very first thing that I would like to think of is that the Christian does have a purpose in life. And that is really a blessing for you and I to lay hold on. Now, when you ask an evolutionist, what is the purpose in life? They are really stumped. In fact, they're not embarrassed to tell you that we don't have a purpose in life. Now, uh, Richard Dawkins... In, uh, in his book, um, what was the book called? Now I've got it here. River Out of Eden, that was it. He, he says this, and, 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 and I'm going to quote this to you. And this is what he says I want you just to think about it. It is a mistake to assume that an ecosystem or a species as a whole exists for a purpose. In fact, it is wrong to suppose that individual organisms lead a meaningful life. Now, this, is, this, is, this guy is way up there in, in academia. He is the god of most of this uh, evolutionary thinking. And he, without shame, has told us and admitted to us that we don't have a purpose You have no reason for living because you're simply just an accident. You're simply just a a result of some cosmic explosion and here you are and you have no purpose. Now, what type of um, this type of thinking, what does it do to our young people? What does it do to, 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 to men and women going through life? How do they handle this? When they've been drilled and given this sort of nonsense as, as something that they're supposed to believe and hold on to, how can they go on? How can they, how can they carry on? It is wrong to think you exist for a purpose. It is wrong to suppose that an individual has a, has a meaningful life. Some months ago in Cambridge, Massachusetts, Mitchell Heisman, a 35 year old, went to the steps of the Memorial Church at Harvard University. And in front of a busload of tourists, he took out a gun and shot himself in the head. And he left probably the longest suicide note in history on the internet. 1900 pages was his suicide note. And in his note, Heisman, he goes on and on about the hopelessness of humanity. He saves his sharpest criticism for the Christian God and the Bible. And uh, he says that he he attacks the Bible, that it has is a book of fables and it lacks any scientific evidence. And he fills the pages of his suicide notes with quotes from humanistic scholars like the uh, professor uh, Richard Dawkins. And his note ends in complete hopelessness and despair. And Heisman states this and he says this life is meaningless and not worth living. And his basis is that if we are the product of evolution, we are nothing in the universe of nothing. And Heisman stands as a testimony to atheism and what it breeds and the type of lifestyle that it brings. Evolutionary thinking, it it, it produces nothing but hopelessness and despair, a person comes to realize, you know, uh, that if he comes under the understanding that he's just an accident of nature, and that life is pure chance, and that our sense of self-worth is, is really pointless, it is easy to see that if you believe this, to come to the conclusion that there is no reason for living. There is no purpose in life. But I want to tell you this evening that God created every one of us with a purpose. He has a plan for you. And if you're a young person here today and you have your whole life ahead of you, I want to just encourage you and I want you to understand that God has a great, great, great plan for you. And He wants to use you and bring glory and honor to His name. And He wants to bless you. And He wants to make you a blessing to other people. But He has a purpose. Now the next time you come across an evolutionist, ask him, What's the purpose in living? What's your purpose? What is it that drives you? These guys, they don't have the answers. They don't have the, the, the credentials, actually, to, to know how to live a normal, successful life. Richard Dawkins is on his third wife. These are men who don't know how to keep their own family together. And yet they want to tell us how the whole universe works. It doesn't work. You see, the Bible has a plan and a purpose for yours and for mine. Now, aren't people really asking that question today? When you rub shoulders with people today, are they really asking that question, what is the purpose of life? Are they asking? Well, in 2002, Rick Warren, he wrote a book called The Purpose Driven Life. I think most of you have heard about it. And you know that that book, remained on the New York Times bestseller list for one of the longest times that any book remained on that, on, on that list. I ask you the question, are people interested? Do they want to know? They want to have a purpose for life. And these people are, are looking for answers. And you have them. You have it. And the fact is that you and I have been sort of shamed into silence by these so-called uh, academic professionals... That, that we don't know what we're talking about and that our message is irrelevant when in fact it is the most relevant message in the world today that can change people's lives. That's the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ. The purpose-driven life was a, a great success. And you know there comes a time and this is, this is so interesting. It doesn't matter how polished and professional a person is. There comes a time in everybody's life when God just opens their eyes and challenges their heart and they have that searching question that they just ask themselves, is this all there is to my life? Men have achieved great things. They've accomplished tremendous things and, 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 and have all sorts of letters behind their name. But there's still an aching void that has not been satisfied. I don't have time to, to tell you. a Well, I'll make a, a very quick, a quick story. This happened in, in Ma'un. And uh, I, I had been at the, the Land Rover dealership. I had, a, I had a Land Rover at the time. I had to been at the Land Rover dealership, and I was uh, having a, an argument, really, with uh, the salesman, and uh, this guy was overhearing what I was saying, and uh, after I finished the argument, this guy comes and says, no, I agree with you, that was he was a German guy, a tourist, and he was on safari, and uh, he, he says, you were right to say what you said, and I says, well, thank you for agreeing, and I asked him, so what are you doing here, he says, well, we're here on, on, on a safari. And I said, "Oh, that's nice. What what do you do?" He says, "Well, I'm I'm actually a specialist. I'm a doctor, and um, uh, I I fly uh, in the helicopter whenever there's an accident somewhere. I'm I'm one of the specialists that are on the on the scene right away to to help people in these terrible accidents." And uh, and he was with his girlfriend, and she was a nurse. And I had a nice chat with them both, and. And and uh, and he asked, what did I do? And I says, well, I'm I'm an I'm a missionary, and I preach the gospel of Jesus Christ here. And and he was thrilled to hear what I was doing. And 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 I said, listen, um, do you have a place to stay? And uh, he says, well, we're going into the bush tonight, and when we come back in three nights, I don't have a place to stay. In, and and I, I would I would like to stay with you. And I says, well, you would be most welcome to stay with us. And um, and uh, we'd look forward to seeing you. So three days came by, and we were in the, bil- in the middle of building our, our chapel at the time, and it was a Saturday afternoon, and and Dan in Galuka, my colleague, and I were at the plot there working away on the chapel, and, and sure enough, this Land Rover pulls in, and there he comes out, and, and this big German guy, and strong accent, and, uh, and he wanted to see what we are doing, and he was so thrilled, and, and so uh, he came with us that night, and... Um, and he stayed with us that night we had a long conversation the next day he came with us on a Sunday to the meetings and he watched what was going on our big Sunday school and he saw what was happening he was just enjoying the children and that afternoon we sat we had lunch together and then we sat in the swimming pool it was a hot hot day we sat in the swimming pool and he said this he says you know Sid I'm a very successful man and I've got a lot of money But I don't have what you have. I don't have what you have. I want to have what you have. You see, he comes from this Western Europe, post-Christian era, but he's a hungry soul. And he knows that the world, what it has to offer, doesn't satisfy. It won't bring real satisfaction to his heart. And once he saw the true gospel... He realized this is what I want. Now Mark Frank is his name. He's still not saved. We went to visit him in Germany a couple of years ago. He's since left that girl and he's married another girl. And uh, we've been to visit him and his his, his wife, and they are still seeking, and we're trying to bring the gospel to them, as as the Lord opens the door. You see, men and women are seeking. For answers to this, and you know, it, it's not just for some poor savage in, in South Africa or Botswana. It's for some poor savage that lives in the in in Fort in in in, 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 in Fort Lauderdale. You know, is there any difference really when you think about? It? Is there any difference between a disheveled derelict who's just going around from one pleasure to the next pleasure just to satisfy himself is there any difference between him and the well-dressed businessman that is just going from one business conquest to the next business conquest seeking to, 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 to fill that aching void in his heart there's no difference they're all missing out because they haven't got the purpose in life they don't have the answer and you dear believer you have it. And I have it in the Lord Jesus. So the first question today is, what is the purpose in life? Now let's look at, at, the, uh, at another reading here. We read this on Sunday, but let's look at it again. Romans chapter 2, and it's verses uh, 14 and 15. For when Gentiles who do not have the law By nature do the things in the law, these also not having the law are a law to themselves, who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and between themselves their thoughts accusing or else excusing them. Now, that's a little bit difficult to understand. Now, I'm going to read it to you in the message translation. And it's very interesting how they translate it. Just listen to me as I read it to you. This is the message. When outsiders who have never heard of God's law follow it more or less by instinct, they confirm its truth by their obedience They show that God's law is not something alien imposed upon us from without, but woven into the very fabric of our creation. There is something deep within that echoes God's yes and no, right and wrong. You see, if our worldview is based on evolution, we won't have an answer to this question. How do I find forgiveness? The problem of guilt. Now, this is a serious challenge to evolutionists. They, they, they just don't know what to do with this. Because, really, they don't have absolutes, you see. There's no such thing as right and wrong. There's uh, what might be right for you is not necessarily right for him. There's just no absolutes. And, and if that may be the case, then you can basically do what you want. And you should not have to ever feel guilty, because there are no laws. We can just live like animals, if that's really what we are. We're just a a, a part of this ecosystem. We're just a a bunch of cells that have been brought together. There's no conscience, and there's no right and wrong. You just do what you want to do. You can live like an animal. Now, if our worldview is based on the ideas of evolution, and that there is no God, and no purpose... And we are nothing more than an accident of nature. It leads people into lifestyles that are destructive both to themselves and to other people. Consequently, people who live that way, they're plagued by guilt. And this is what happens. You can go to the psych ward in any hospital and you'll find people that, that are basically going crazy as a result of guilt. Guilt complexes. People are doing all sorts of things to try and alleviate guilt The things that they have done in the past that has troubled them and they don't have an answer for it. Let me read you a letter that I came across that was very, very interesting. I want you just to listen to this letter. Dear Sir, Dear Sir, I am nearly 42, married to a man I met when I was 15. We have two wonderful daughters I totally love. Both are happy. One is going to university, one has bought a house with her boyfriend, I have a mom and dad who adore me, we have a nice life, we go on lovely holidays, etc. So why on a Saturday night am I writing an email to a total stranger? Maybe I want someone to tell me we all make mistakes, but mine has lasted many years. On January 28, 1992, I had an abortion. And since that day, I have been on a mission of self destruction. I had just gone back to work when I found out I was pregnant again, and I knew we couldn't cope. So I went to the hospital, and the doctors then, quote, sorted it out. After that, I came home, and my life utterly went downhill. I have constantly put my husband through hell with stuff that I have done. And yet each time he forgives me and tells me he loves me. How can he, with what I have done, even after all this time, every September, when the child would have been born, I go into such a deep depression. I killed my child. My daughter's sibling my mom and dad's grandchild. Who truly would ever forgive me? I'm not a bad person, just one who made such a catastrophic mistake which has affected every single day of my life since January 1992. Who truly would ever forgive me, she says. You know the world is filled with people who have done things like this, like this woman. And they're walking around with a load of guilt, looking for forgiveness. Now, guilt becomes a real problem, as I mentioned earlier, to the evolutionist. You see, if we are simply an accident, and that there are no real absolutes of right and wrong, why do people feel guilty? Why are these psych words filled with people who are, Terrified and, and, and troubled by this, this problem of guilt. Now the humanists and the evolutionists, they, they say this. And, and also the pro-choice movement. They've tried to, to, to do this. They, they want us to think that the unborn child is really just a, an unwanted growth. And that you have the right to remove it. And not feel guilty for it. It's, it's no different than just trimming your fingernail without feeling guilty. This is, this is the sort of um, uh, you know, philosophy that they're trying to get across to us. But the fact of the matter is this. Almost without exception, there is guilt that is experienced by the woman that goes through an abortion. I, I did a little Google search the other day, and I just typed in the words abortion and guilt. And I got 7,200,000 websites and articles dealing with that subject. It's a real thing. It's a real problem. And not just abortion. But a whole host of behaviors that men and women and boys and girls have incurred in their life. And it's troubled their conscience. They can't get away with it. And it bothers them. And they have guilt. And they don't know how to deal with it. Now the evolutionists, this is what they say. Their answer to the question of guilt is this. is Evolutionists would like to blame the Christians. They blame the churches for guilt. They say it's just the, you're just the product of growing up in a culture where we are taught that, the, that God and the Bible is the basis for, for morality and decision making. And so the evolutionists want to blame us, saying, listen, you guys are the ones always harping about sin and judgment, and, and you've just trained these people, you've brainwashed these people into thinking that there's a big boogeyman that's going to uh, judge these people for, for, for their activities. But you know what the evolutionists have overlooked, and we talked about this on Sunday, and that, and that is this. You can go to Lost Tribes, that have had no contact with with the developed world. They have had no missionary, no Bible influence, no evangelist, no church. And yet, in these lost tribes, they have a set of morals that are just as moral as, you, as, as what we would have here. They know it's wrong to steal. They know it's wrong to kill. They know it's wrong to sleep with that other man's woman. They know it's, these are wrong things. And the question that you and I can tell the evolutionists or ask the evolutionists, who taught them that? We weren't there. You can't blame us now, can you? The reason is this. It shows from this passage that we just read, it shows the work of God has written it in their hearts. Just like the message is translated. It is woven into the very fabric of our creation. There is something deep within us that echoes God's yes and no and right and wrong. You see, God has given us a conscience. And that conscience, if we ignore it, it produces guilt. And there's no answer for that. And so the evolutionists have a real battle handling this question. How do I find forgiveness? Now let's look at our last passage this evening. And with this we're going to close. Revelation chapter 20 and verse 12. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books." so my last question that I would like to answer those that would profess evolution is, is there justice? Is there justice in this world or in the next? Now, this is a problem for them. They, they have a difficulty with this. On January 13th, 1996... Nine-year-old Amber Hagerman was abducted while riding her bicycle in Arlington, Texas. A neighbor who witnessed the abduction called the police and Amber's brother Ricky went home to tell his parents what had happened. Four days after the abduction a man walking his dog found Amber's body in a storm drainage ditch. Her killer was never found. And from that day, in 1996 to this day, that family has had to suffer at the hands of this unknown killer. That's how we have developed the Amber Alert that came from her, from this young lady. Now, had that been you, There is no evolutionist that could ever come alongside and offer any words of comfort. Because they believe that we live in a jungle. And what happens, happens. It's the law of the jungle. And we have no recourse. There is no justice. There are no rules. There is no God. And there is no, there is no, there is no hope of justice. But I want to encourage you this evening with this tremendous fact. That God one day is going to hold every single human being accountable. There is no one going to ever get away with it. God will one day bring everything and bring all this to justice. Those that have incurred these horrific crimes, they will get their, their, their day and God will judge them in the end the Christian has a tremendous tremendous message he has the questions to these to these terrible questions what is the purpose of life how do we find forgiveness and is there the hope of justice Now, the God of the Bible is real. This is so cool. The God of the Bible is real. And he has a purpose for your life. He offers forgiveness and he reminds us that there will be justice one day. Now, those are answers that you have that can really stabilize you in your life as a Christian. And when an evolutionist crosses your path, those are questions you can ask them and that will challenge their thoughts and their thinking I hope this evening we have been able to just bring some of these things to the forefront and and I want you to, to lift up your shoulders Christian, you have answers you don't need to bury your head in your hands in shame thinking we don't know what we're talking about you have the most relevant message that this world has ever heard You have a message that can change people's lives for better and give them the the, the peace of forgiveness and the hope of, of, of knowing that whatever comes into my life, God's in control. And to know this, that God one day is going to settle all the accounts. It's all great. It's a tremendous message, the message of salvation. May God bless his word to us. Aaron, would I ask you to pray, please, brother?